You are listening to the Worlding Podcast, where we explore the relationship of how we are both shaping and being shaped by our surroundings. The podcast traces interconnections by inviting each episode's guest to pass on the mic to someone who has influenced their world. And now, here's your host, dance artist Renee Schadler. Hello, friends. Today we complete our 10th string figure with my guest, Anna Farley, an autistic artist based in Hull in the UK. The core of Anna's practice is access and inclusion with regards to neurodifference and disability. Her training, consultation and lived experience creates the basis of her artworks. In this episode, we'll approach the idea of worlding in relation to how Anna navigates her life with support and family. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, and uh, thank you, BB, for um, the nomination. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's great to say for listeners that these pair laughs that you are hearing through your headphones are Anna and Anna Kay, her support worker. So welcome also to Anna Kay. Thanks for being with us during this recording. Hi, thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> so when we were preparing for this podcast, Anna shared with me how you see the world visually and how pictures for you are easier than words. I would like to start then by audio describing myself. I am a woman with short brown hair in my mid-30s. I have what some would say a big smile and open green eyes. I have quite big eyes in relation to my head. I'd agree with the big smile. It's very <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, that's sweet. Um, <laughs> and I'm wearing a brown jumper and I'm standing at my desk speaking into a microphone with headphones on. And usually we record these episodes over Zoom with our video off. But today we've decided to keep the video on so we can connect also visually. So, yeah, um, I'm Anna Farley. I am... Um, a woman sometimes <laughs> in, <laughs> who is um, mid-30s, um, medium height, about 5'7", and um, I have uh, glasses on and they are clear. I'm a hipster. No, I'm joking. <laughs> and um, I, I have brown hair that comes down uh, to my shoulders and um i'm a little bit chubby but i love it and um i'm sat at my uh well a desk mm. is a <clears throat> is a loose term for it uh in front of my 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 computer and um i'm also joined um, as I most usually am in a work capacity, by uh, Anna Knowles, who is more than capable to introduce herself and describe <laughs> herself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm Anna Knowles. I have the absolute pleasure of being Anna's uh, support worker, and it is an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm in my early 40s, 
Uh, and, doesn't look <laughs> and have a shoulder length brown hair I'm sitting directly next to Anna and I'm here to uh, help her through this process when she needs me it's important to also tell listeners that we'll be taking breaks during this recording and during the breaks we'll play a 30 second soundtrack And when we come back, we'll let you know how long our breaks were in real time. This is to be transparent about our recording process. And this was a beautiful proposition by you, Anna, also in relation to your work on access and inclusion. Yeah, I mean, you know, when we first started talking, um, Renee, I was really um, interested about the format of a podcast. Obviously, also because I'm someone who... Uh, sometimes audio is maybe not the best way to get things from me. <laughs> um, so, um, so it was very interesting to be asked to do this. And um, I realised I, I had no idea about what goes into making a podcast. And um, do, do you, uh, listeners, do you know what goes into making a podcast? Have you ever been in one? Um, and... I kind of was interested to push back to Renee a bit about what this process is and and what makes a good podcast, what makes a bad podcast. (laughs) Um, And it's been very interesting. And um, but I am very nervous. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is nerve nerve wracking. Um, Yeah. So I think this time the formula for this episode is going to be a bit different. and we're excited to take you through that um, as though you're here with us, <laughs> which I guess they kind of are, no? <laughs> totally. Perhaps in the future, because we're recording in December from Berlin and the UK in Hull. So perhaps in another location, in another time. But there's an essence of us with you now in your headphones. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I know you're really working on creating neurodiverse or neurodifferent spaces and raising the visibility of people with disabilities. And you refer to yourself as an autistic artist rather than an artist with autism. And during my work in inclusive spaces, I was always told this was an absolute (laughs) no-go to put the disability before the role of the human or the human themselves when it's describing a living being. So can you tell me a little bit about that choice? Because even in the introduction, I was also a little bit nervous saying that as (sighs) as a kickoff to an episode. Yeah, of course. Um, yes. Yeah, so disclaimer, this was fully consensual. <laughs> Renee has not uh, gone off track and <laughs> said this out of turn. Not at all. Um, it's the way in which I describe myself. Uh, and yes, I do. I, I get a lot of questions around that. But for me, the, 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 the reason why I do that is because for me, uh, my autism is, is a huge part of my identity. And it shapes everything that I do. Um, so, because it's my it's my life, it's my it's my experience, um, and I can't separate that. And neither would I want to. So, I, I'm not really Anna with autism, you know. Like right now, I am I'm Anna <laughs> with Anna, who's my support worker. But my autism is in me, <laughs> it's not, you know, and I. I 
I think it's really important because then I'm understanding my position within the arts. And, you know, I think... I think the way in which we talk about disability in the arts is is still very dated um in 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 ways that potentially other you know uh, minorities are are being you know more progressive about how they they talk about who they are and and what's important i i'm neurodiverse although I called it neurodifference just in case people aren't familiar with what that means. Um, and that means that I'm autistic, but also I am neurodiverse and I have other conditions. So I have co-occurring conditions. Um, I can list them, but it's a bit like bingo. <laughs> so I'm autistic, I'm dyslexic, um, I have ADD so I can get distracted, um, I have OCD um, which you know is um, obsessive compulsions um, and I also get a lot of anxiety um, because of all of those things and, <laughs> and depression. Um, so yeah there's there's a lot going on <laughs> so the term neurodiverse is is good for me <laughs> um but i describe myself as autistic as an autistic artist because that's the 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 all my other conditions are either secondary um secondary developed like my mental health difficulties because of my autism um and some like some of the other ones are to do with coping <laughs> with that as well um so yeah it's it's com it's complex mm, totally and not only is there a lot going on inside you but you're also doing a lot outside and I'd love to turn to one of your recent visual guides which was for set and reset at the Tate Modern and in this guide you say it's for everyone and anyone giving visitors another way to access the display. Can you share with listeners and myself a little bit about this process of creating a visual guide for an exhibition? So First and foremost is to definitely talk about how the fact that in the visual arts, we, you talking in image is like off limits <laughs> because there's almost like it, it infringes on the sacrosanct, 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 mm -hmm. what's this word? Mm -hmm. The sanctity, is <laughs> the better word, um, of the artwork, the artwork. Um, but of course this is um, we don't all communicate um, in formal educational modes um, so really it, I, I go into an exhibition and I imagine um, an alternative future for how we talk about art without necessarily using speech um, or text and 
we rely so heavily on on verbal instruction as well within um, gallery scenarios um, in terms of how important information is shared with guests and visitors. The thing is, is there's so many people in society that can benefit from better methods of communication and alternative ones. I mean, not everyone has the same educational journey and access. So that was our first example of a break and that break for us was four minutes and 50 seconds. We were just chatting on the pause actually about worlding and the concept of this show about really shaping and being shaped by our surroundings and having different relations to our surroundings which also include our bodies and feelings and this very thick emotional landscape so I was just telling Anna how important it is actually to have her lived experience as part of the program and um, thank you so much listeners as well for enjoying perhaps this short sound injections because I'm definitely really enjoying the process. (laughs) You know, typically what works for someone with uh, additional needs tends to benefit everyone. (laughs) So for me, um, maybe we've already said this, maybe you said this in the beginning, that I I think in pictures, which is something that I realised when listening to uh, uh, Temple Grandin, who is, uh, if you don't know who Temple Grandin is, uh, she's the woman who speaks to cows. No, I mean, obviously, <laughs> that's just the title of one, one of the documentaries about her. Uh, she's an autistic um, uh, pioneer in um, animal uh, well-being, uh, basically, um, as they go to the slaughter. Uh, <laughs> but um, she basically... Um, redesigned the way in which animals are facing their end um uh through squeezing squeezing them to calm them and this is something that i also uh pressure is my friend um (laughs) um and yeah so temple grandin did a lot about the the fact that she thinks in pictures and for me that was like ding, light bulb moment oh my goodness I do that um which actually Renee this is quite interesting so if you ask me a simple question maybe just ask me just anything very very simple question do you like coffee okay so what I have to do is here do do you like coffee and then I have to turn it into me because the question being asked at me. So it's do does Anna like coffee? And then I 
think about the words in my brain as a sentence do you like coffee question mark and then I turn those letters almost I'm thinking of the words more like images like when you're a kid and you're learning how to read and write and you pictorialize to gain script and then I think about um and then I think about myself um and what I look like for some reason I'm sat at my kitchen table (laughs) probably because we're talking about food and drink and then I'm thinking about a cup of coffee with the steam rising off of it and then I'm thinking that I don't like that smell (laughs) and I'm thinking what it's like if I taste it and um my face goes and it's bitter and I think no I don't like coffee (laughs) And then I have to, so that's all happened as pictures. My answer is so far pictures in my head. So then I have to turn those pictures into images of what the words look like for my answer. And so the images would be like, no, obviously is the first answer. And then I drink tea. And then I'm thinking about teacups. And then... And then I have to then say, no, Renee, <laughs> I don't like coffee, <laughs> but I do like tea. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> um, so that just gives you an idea of all this processing that happens. So, for example, if you had held up a picture of a cup of coffee, <laughs> um which the Makaton for coffee is really funny because for tea it's it's a flat palm with your left hand and then you kind of make as though you're gripping the handle on the teacup and lift it to your lips and that's a cup of tea (laughs) (laughs) but if you want coffee it's like a tumbler so it's like you've got your hands around a beaker and then you drink and then you use the 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 grip as a C for coffee. This <laughs> is so weird. So I can't remember why I started talking about Makaton. But um yeah, it's a long process basically. Mm. But oh that was it. Had you held up a picture of a, of coffee, I could have just shook my head. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Totally. Instead of having to find find the words, you see? Which obviously also, this is what we were talking about at the beginning when I was saying it's very interesting to do a podcast, which is an audio-based portrait (laughs) um, of us in this moment. Because it's it's a perfect challenge for me. (laughs) Absolutely. And also for listeners that aren't familiar with Makaton, it's a form of sign language. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's that's another process in this visualisation of information. But I'm going to stay a little bit longer on the visual guide, Anna, because also in your guide you talk about one of your boundaries at the beginning is you do you which I find so interesting because obviously (laughs) you're interpreting the exhibition and providing images in which to access the content. 
but you're also an agent in that. So you're already taking a position, but allowing mm. people experiencing the exhibition to perhaps be inspired by your position, but really make their own. And I think that's a very generous way of assisting an exhibition mm. and an access point into it. I think that's very kind. I'm glad that you see it that way. I guess when I'm doing it, I don't think about that so much. What I think about is how sad it is that um, I myself struggle in those environments because I feel like I need to act a certain way, present a certain way. Um, and that there's all these kind of hidden bureaucracies around art spaces that are very much this privileged knowledge like you know <laughs> there's no how to <laughs> how to go around a gallery <laughs> um and neither should there be i guess but but the problem is is that there are loads of hidden rules there's social conduct that's expected and it's really intimidating if you don't know what those things are so that's what that was about really was it's almost I'm telling myself <laughs> um which luckily has a wider lesson maybe um but yeah all the all the work that I do in terms of my access I'm basically just <laughs> trying to find ways to be there myself um so it comes from a very genuine place these kind of choices to say that thing like you do you I'm telling myself that in a way I'm saying look <laughs> it's okay <laughs> you can be here <laughs> you, you you have a right to be here especially in a publicly funded gallery of course mm. Mm. it really reminds me of the do not do symbols which <laughs> I've seen often when you enter a gallery which is usually a black and white image with a red circle and a red line through it mm. so you might have a skateboard and then a red circle and a red <laughs> line through it or um you know like a drink cup you know with a red circle <laughs> and a red line through it and yeah. I know when I go to galleries I often feel overwhelmed like because I spend a lot of time, I really enjoy words, so it's the opposite. I spend a lot of time reading the placards, but then I'm often slower than my friends. And there's a pressure to get to the end, so I'm often trying to go a little yeah. bit fast, even though I'm reading. And I would always love to just lie down on the ground, like just for five minutes or something, lie down and get up. But actually now you're talking about it, I can almost – imagine like a like a person lying down with a red circle <laughs> and a red line through it because it's very clear in a gallery you don't lie on the floor like well I do as an adult <laughs> yeah you do okay that's great crisis happens when it happens you know <laughs> amazing but ser seriously yeah of course you know uh, that's a great piece of work thank you I will <laughs> bear that in mind mm -hmm. like two doors just covered with <laughs> you can and you cannot <laughs> um yeah the hidden rules they're endless I think in these in these public spaces and especially institutions yes and I think also there's a fear of that inclusion means not restricting people openly by these rules. But I think that's rubbish 
because <laughs> to me how how can you operate within somewhere or be expected to act appropriately if you have no idea what those rules are mm. you know be like i don't know be like trying to play monopoly but you <laughs> you've never played before and no one's telling you what the rules are <laughs> it's just starved it's really stressful for the individual as well so no <laughs> It also makes me think a lot about shame, actually, is kind of the first word that comes to mind because there is yeah, there is definitely an implicit shame in, I don't know, not being able to make it to the toilet in time because the toilet's too far away from where you are if you're somebody that has a bladder inflection, for example, or a shame in lying on the ground because you're tired and you're just going to take a nap in the middle of the room. Uh, so I think there is also that idea of monitoring or disciplining through shame in response to the other. So we're joining you again after a two-minute pause. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, what happened is, is that I felt a light bulb and I, I think I may have lost it again, but just bear with me. <laughs> uh, we were talking about shame in the gallery spaces and whether or not the guides um, are potentially mitigating that issue. And I honestly, I don't know about that. I really hope they do, uh, if not now, someday. Um, but what what's really important is that I think we need to start thinking more in an art space. We think a lot about the art, but we don't think a lot about the humans. Um, and I think that is the sort of the issue. Um, yeah. Uh, and if we put as much thought into what it's like to be healthy and go around an exhibition that could take you, I don't know, say an hour, and you're within that exhibition for an hour, like, I don't know. I, I always have these amazing dreams that there's like some sort of a water bar halfway around <laughs> and uh, some sort of pods <laughs> quiet pods <laughs> um and you know always that transition between rooms as well why there's not a really comfy sofa i do not understand <laughs> yeah. if, if for no one else than for the invigilators right no i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> no they're standing up for hours i think that's a very fair comment yes yes i the thing is right is that you know my ideal, right, would be that a big art gallery with lots of spaces just kind of said, Anna, you know, borrow this, do research, <laughs> install sofas and make a water, put a water machine here. And, you know, what colour should the walls be if they're not white? 
yeah like I really like you know let's talk about this dyslexia and dyscalculia on white it's really <laughs> intense and also um in terms of you know visual impact uh I get a lot of visual disturbance from white walls uh, and it can give me a bit of a headache because of the light reflecting so much um so yeah I think there's so much that needs to be tested so much that we need to learn about what the future art gallery institution museum looks like um and I know that's been addressed academically in terms of you know uh the future of of art and this sorts of things in terms of the physical assets and da, 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 da. but we're not really thinking that much about what engagement's journey could look like what the future of engagement in an art space is mm, totally no i really appreciate that i would love to go back to language given that we're using language and on a podcast how do you hear words? <laughs> um, so, for example, Renee, um, this is always going to be... I think the reason I was quite nervous about doing this is because, um, for example, with your voice, your voice is very soothing and it's, like, very... Um, like, could you just say something like, the cat sat on the mat? The cat sat on the mat. Oh, I also played it for you. Sorry. The cat oh, sat on the mat. It's so it's smooth, right? And it's got such a nice, you've got lovely iterations of speech, like how your, how the sound moves up and down. So the problem with that is both a blessing and a curse. It's very soothing. Uh, but it, I struggle to pay attention to what the words mean because I'm listening to how the words sound. Um, <laughs> so... Um, sometimes, especially in a long question, I get a bit lost because I'm just thinking, oh, that's nice sounds. <laughs> and I forget what the content was. <laughs> yeah, nice. Going into the details, actually, it's really this process. It feels like of zooming in also to the to the tonality <laughs> and the vibrations. Yes. The thing is, is um, when, the, when the words are like fizzling out like that and it just turns into sherbet, it's just really, um, it really means that the breaks become not like pleasant. They become necessity. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm floating along, <laughs> um, which is really, you know, one of my biggest fears, I think, especially in this kind of situation is that I float along and I'm not giving 100% <laughs> of myself. Also in relation to the pauses, as you said, like these processes that are, quote, inclusive or providing an access actually create a softer approach for many bodies. Uh, since 2007, I've been working on and off with mixed ability dance groups, and I've almost started to think about access as Excess, so E X C E S S, because for me it's really about creating spaces where multiple lived experiences can coexist more than accessing a neurotypical one. Because I've been lost on recordings after 40 recordings or so, there's definitely that moment where inside I would 
like love a pause, but there's this pressure or maybe this idea of being professional or a very capitalist idea about being very efficient that stops that from being possible. Yes. But when you actively ask for it, absolutely, I love that idea. Perhaps for the listener, it's also an overwhelm of information. They're entering into ideas they haven't been a part of before or thinking and worlding Mm. that they haven't had access to. You know, again, it's like accessing a body other than your own, uh, which can go in all types of neurodifference. So I really appreciate that idea of... Yeah, allowing opportunities to be for all bodies. So we're joining you again after a two-minute pause. Yeah, I, I think something that's really hard that we don't also don't talk about enough is that, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm highly privileged because I know what some of my needs are. But actually, um, a lot of people haven't got a clue what their needs are, but they definitely suffer you know, in an experience or, you know, due to something that could be an alternative for them. And I think, you know, a lot of times as well with with accessibility, there's this understanding that if someone has needs in accessibility, they know exactly what those Mm. things are and what that looks like. Mm. But sometimes having options can be really helpful. Um, So if you're an employer... (laughs) And you want to work with people who are autistic, um, yeah, don't assume that they know they know what their needs are and that that might be a bit of a a journey um, that you may have to go backwards and forwards on. And, I, you know, I wonder, you know, what, yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder within your podcast, like what, what would those what do those options look like you know and yeah i wonder like whether you'll be able to sort of create some prompts almost from this like if you need to take a break <laughs> um you can <laughs> and um i will be grateful mm-hmm. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but i think yeah it's um yeah of course it was it was very nerve-wracking you know when we first met about whether um you would you would be able to break the aesthetic of your of your process and your product which is these podcasts are you know they follow a a structure and that's also something that's then dependable for your audience um because obviously once I got invited, I listened to every single one of your podcasts um, in my, uh, um, yes, <laughs> in my need to, to check <laughs> whether it was something I could see myself doing. And well, not only did I 
learn a lot. <laughs> uh, so thank you. Um, but but also yes, um, yeah, there was a fear about oh wow, well how did that work? Did it go through the whole time? And what if I what if I um, what if I I don't know what to say or or what if I I I lose my speak or um I hope I hope I'm gonna come off as you know uh intelligent and competent and I hope which of course all of these things were absolutely fine because you're incredibly receptive and in fact quite excited mm. <laughs> um which is a first <laughs> Do you know what's just come to me is that Anna talks about that she subverts gallery tradition and gallery culture. And today mm. you have subverted podcast culture. Ooh. Have you not? <laughs> I feel like you have. <laughs> It'll be interesting. I'm ex- I'm interested to see what listeners think about that. <laughs> I also have to share what I would love to share Um during our conversation to prepare the podcast, you also taught me Makaton for I'm sorry, which is to rub a circle on your chest. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to, are you going to tell the story? <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. Cause it really shifted just this idea also of like accessing neurotypical realities um, and how actually that, again, is a reciprocal process, like accessing multiple lived experiences. My partner who would self-identify as being very neurotypical, like high-achieving German, very precise, really struggles with saying I'm sorry. And I'm very conditioned as an Australian to find manners very important, middle-class Australian (laughs) with a mother as a kindergarten teacher. So she's teaching children to say I'm sorry, especially her own daughter. And so it was always this point of conflict when I needed a sorry and he would say I'm sorry through gestures but or a hug but never actually the words and I felt so fixated on the words. And then by you sharing this Makaton for I'm sorry, I passed it on. I love it so much and he loves doing it. (laughs) So now we're just like uh, frolicking in I'm sorry. Uh, But it's really this moment of realising that neurotypicality is so thin and so few people have it. Actually, this high achieving white masculine wealthy body that speaks English as a first language and is (laughs) impeccable at manners I don't know if they exist (laughs) (laughs) so that's amazing to hear that you know it um yeah I mean because we were talking a lot about a hug can feel quite sort of multiple can't it it's got multiple meanings hugging and it doesn't necessarily give you what you need to hear which is the I am sorry (laughs) and you need to hear that (laughs) so basically the makaton for I'm sorry uh, is you um, you put your hand to your chest and you just rub it in a clockwise motion I think it's clockwise isn't it is Mm -hmm. that clockwise yeah kind of like 
a cartoon version of if you were rubbing your tummy to say that like you had had a really good meal (laughs) (laughs) the same but on your chest over your heart and I always loved this Makaton and I use it all the time a lot with my family and a lot with um my good friends um of which they usually are like, don't worry, uh, <laughs> and sort of wave their hand because you can't see this, kind of wave their hand uh, forwards and then backwards as a kind of a dismissal, like, it's okay, don't worry. Um, but yeah, this this I love this movement because it seems for me to, to embody the feeling of apology and it was really fun because when you told me because we were talking about the importance of language over action at times and you know and it was so fun to be able to share this very specific action which means this very specific thing in speech um so I'm really really glad that that has been (laughs) something that you've wanted to embrace um that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, perhaps listeners and myself can go out and learn some more Makaton because it's really the beginning, I feel, of this <laughs> nonverbal language. It's really, yeah, really, really a gift. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, could ne- I can never understand why, do, why we don't learn basic sign in school. If for nothing mm. else, it's great if you're in the club mm-hmm. and you need the toilet. Mm. <laughs> You can mm-hmm. tell your friends, <laughs> I'm off to the toilet <laughs> with your signing. No, I'm obviously, I'm I'm joking. But, you know, really, you know, a lot of signs have history. Um, and they're really interesting. Like, I learned the Makaton for Biscuit is where you kind of put your arm up and you create a kind of a paw claw with your other hand and you tap it on your elbow like you're tapping a biscuit on your elbow and I asked the Makaton instructor this why (laughs) why is that biscuit and they said well it's from when um when people were at sea and they would have a ship's biscuit which is obviously one of the most basic things that you can make on a voyage (laughs) and it's you know supposed to be fairly hardy I would never want to eat one myself but (laughs) and apparently they used to tap them on their arm to make the weevils fall out which are the little bugs that live in that live in the biscuit and this is what the makaton is (laughs) is this tapping of a ship's biscuit on your elbow it's so funny I love it I love it (laughs) Oh my God, I hope you don't eat the weevils. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure many a weevil had been had on a ship. But um, Wow. But, um, yeah. Thanks for sharing. Also, as part of this <laughs> podcast, staying in this theme of physicality, I'm inviting guests to share a proposition with listeners and myself so we can embody your research and especially circulating around this theme of making invisible disabilities visible, I would, yeah, be very curious how we could experience that with you now. So I'm actually going to hand over the mic um, to Anna Kay, 
uh, Anna Knowles, <laughs> um, to do with you some breathing that um, Anna guides me through when I'm really struggling to feel grounded and my stress is rising. So, um, it, so Anna's going to take you through the um, heat breathing. Um, and I recommend you just give it a whirl. <laughs> there are lots of different exercises that I do with Anna and that Anna's mum and, and family would do with Anna. And, and you have to, we're kind of intuitive, I think, to the situation and to where we are. So the simplest, the simplest one would be the placing of the hands, which you've seen me do, Renee, actually, because I did it in one of the breaks where I placed two hands on Anna's shoulders and, and grounded her down. And Anna's uh, very receptive to the physical, but I will I would always say first, is it okay if I touch you? So this is something that we do. If I see, if I if I can really tell that Anna is in incredibly anxious or completely overwhelmed in a situation, I can see that in many different ways. I can see it through Anna's face. She'll often be nonverbal, so I'm looking for all of those nonverbal uh, cues. I can see it in her eyes, and I can <laughs> I can see it in her fingers what I'm doing at the moment is I'm doing what Anna would do which is which is moving my fingers very fast and also one leg will tap and tap and tap and tap so I'll often say can I put my hand on your leg and I'll still that leg and then I'll say to Anna close your eyes Anna and and the leg that I'm I'm I've got my hand on I'll say right okay through through your through your foot feel contact with the ground and sometimes if it's appropriate we take socks off or we take shoes off don't we if it's mm. appropriate and I say feel feel the ground through your foot now take the earth up through that leg so whichever you you can start on on a leg I'm I'm starting here with Anna's right but uh it doesn't matter which and I'll say to feel the earth through your leg and feel that go up towards your knee and feel the movement and then feel it go up, up, up towards the top part of your leg, right through your thigh. And then feel it hit your your tummy, your stomach. And for this, when Anna's feeling really overwhelmed, I I know how her tummy is feeling. Um, so I ask her to then take a big breath in and puff it out. And another one in. And puff it out again. Then I ask Anna to take that. That was a really good out breath, Anna. Then I ask Anna to take that, that breath up, up from the tummy, up into the chest, up into, up into the, uh, to the right side of the chest. And relax through the right side of the chest. Take another deep breath in. And blow the air out. And 
and then I ask her to feel it through her right arm. So feel it go into the shoulder and down the right arm to the fingers. And if she wants to, I invite her to just move her fingers. So just move her fingers, just slowly. And it's slowing everything down. I'll feel that the, the leg will stop tapping. The fingers are no longer moving. And the eyes, Anna's, when Anna's really overwhelmed, the eyes search, her eyes move quickly. Um, and it slows the eyes down. Her eyes are having to be closed as part of this. So we're in the arm, we're in the fingers, and then we come up down the back of the arm. And I ask Anna to kind of feel it in her shoulders and roll her shoulders back. And do a breath in and breathe it out. And all the time there's this connection through into the floor and into the earth, right into the earth. So she'll be pushing down right with that right leg, the, the leg that we've come up through. And now I ask her to feel it into her lower back and, and, and up her spine. And breathe in. And feel that breath go into the spine and push it out. And into the neck. And breathe in and push it out. And then we take that across to the left side and we go down the left arm and we relax the left arm. We perhaps roll the sh left shoulder back and we move the fingers. And then we take it down the left side of the chest. back into the tummy where we take the big deep breaths and we really breathe out and another one Anna and we breathe out and then we release it down the left thigh and if we think about it as we're going back down this side and which which we're pushing we're pushing it back out. We're pushing that breath back out and then we're gonna channel it through the floor. So down the left thigh, down the bottom of the left leg, breathing in, breathing out, and then pushing through the left foot into the floor. So connecting Anna to the floor, to the ground, to the surroundings, calming her down. And then I'll just slowly say to Anna, when you're ready, you can open your eyes. I keep, I've got two hands on, I've got my hands on uh, Anna's just above her knees for grounding purposes, to keep her grounded throughout. And depending on where we are, we would go very, very slowly, or sometimes maybe a bit quicker. Or sometimes, Anna, I just do the breathe in and out, don't I? If we're in a very, if we're very, very, um, pushed for time for example we were doing some work the other day at a conference and we needed to take some time out in the quiet space it was very overwhelming and we just did the breaths didn't we and I knelt in front of Anna and put my hands on her knees and we just did the breaths but I would but I think the most important thing is that I will always seek permission to do that even if I probably know the answer is going to be yes I never assume do I and there we are <laughs>
Are you feeling chill? Yeah. Because <laughs> my eye was twitching and now it's not. Yeah. So that was good. good. And also I realised when I when I took the fire up into my shoulder, I was like, oh my gosh, my shoulders the are like tension. this. <laughs> They're like yeah. up around my ears. See it yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, that was yeah. really good. Yeah, beautiful practice. The ladies are now high fiving for people that are tuning in orally. <laughs> really nice. Um, yeah, very lucky to have each other. Yes, yes, very a hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for inviting us into your apartment in Hull and. <laughs> these amazing practices. I hope we can see one of your visual guides in an exhibition soon and follow your work. Can you let listeners know how we can do that, how we can stay in touch with you? Um, yeah, so I've got a website which is undergoing maintenance. <laughs> um, so that is <laughs> that is www. I feel like I'm on telly. www.annafarley.co.uk. Um, and also I'm on Instagram. That is at the dot anna dot log. Um, yeah, reach out. Um, it'd be great. Uh, if you have any kind of feedback about <laughs> what it was like to listen to me <laughs> that mm -hmm. would be great um but also um as I haven't had any kind of uh, feedback about the Trisha Brown guides if you're out there and you saw one um please please get in touch and let me know what you thought uh yeah thank you so much Renee it's been very very exciting <laughs> thank you <laughs> I agree it's been a, a really special episode and please listeners if you have any contacts to exhibitions that could <laughs> be extended with a visual guide please get in touch and feel free to share these practices because <laughs> earth breathing is something that's open to everybody and we can really practice it by ourselves in any moment so Thank you for sharing and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>